opening up episode 283 of the podcast with the song War of the Giants. It comes from a surf band based out of Birmingham. It is the band The Terrasaurs. This song comes from the album Zillasar. You can find out more about them at theterrasaurs.bandcamp.com or look them up on Facebook or go to their website at terrasaurssurf.com. When you're done listening to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the podcast. This week, we are stepping slightly outside of our self-created, self-imposed box. We are doing a film from the 1970s. It still has that vibe of like classic giant monster movie from the 50s. We're talking about the movie The Giant Spider Invasion, and I'm talking about it with returning guest Tony Wendell. Tony is the man behind The Gigantic Project at thegigantecproject.com. He's also been tearing it up over at Monkeys Fighting Robots at monkeysfightingrobots.com. He's been contributing to that website for a while now, so go check out his articles over there. Maybe drop him a line. Let him know what you think of his pick. That's right, his pick for the movie that we're talking about this week on Monster Kid Radio. In a small Wisconsin town, something was about to happen that would send shockwaves around the world. destroy the earth. It was the giant spider invasion. Look at that. I'm still measuring an x-ray shower from the ground level at a magnitude never before measured on earth except a nuclear explosion. Well, doctor, it could be an abortive strike from a Unfriendly power. Oh, come on. You don't think a missile landed here? I told you something landed here last night. Look, it's full of them. I'm very concerned. Well, frankly speaking, Doctor, so is the United States government.
here all by myself. They're hell-bent on destroying that beast. The crowd's beginning to take over. We'll call the National Guard back. Tell them we need some heavy equipment, guns, tanks, anything. They came by the hundreds, by the thousands, killing and crippling, creeping, crawling creatures determined to destroy the Earth. Could anything stop them? Could anything stop the giant spider invasion? There has never been a film like this before. Like I said last week, at one point I was going to do nothing but 1970s monster movies later this year. But I've learned that every time I try to do a theme month, something comes up. Or I just get impatient and I want to dive into the movies that I've set aside for that theme month. So instead of making you wait till the end of the year for this 1970s monster movie, we're going to get into it with Tony right now. Well, right after this. Beautiful girls and one lone man struggling for survival. With death, sudden, violent, and horrible lurking in the shadows. Horrors of Spider Island. Out of the night came a fate worse than death. A man's mind twisted, his brain poisoned, with an uncontrollable lust to kill. Spider Island. A tale of terror that will leave you limp. So hideous and shocking, you won't believe your eyes. His hunger for victims was never satisfied. Prepare to be frightened out of your wits by the horrors of Spider Island. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. <laughs> oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. That sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. 
Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm. We'll see, Christopher. We'll see. I told them to bring me one, and I'd believe it. Well, I can't say I blame you, Sheriff. But Flynn's still missing. Deep into caverns whose very air is putrefied by the stench of death. <laughs> they search ceaselessly for a missing man, or possibly a giant spider no one really believes exists. Except the high school teacher who knows his science and his students. There'll be more giant spiders coming into the world. They may even be hatching from their eggs in some remote spot right now. Do you realize how easy it would be for them to overcome us humans? A horrifying spectacle. Its existence shocks and fascinates the world of science. Its gigantic claws capable of crushing a man. Or tearing a woman apart as if she were a fly. But nothing sends the cats like the presence of -of out-of-this-world horror. A heart-stopping experience that defies man's imagination. That shrinks every woman's skin with the tension of terrifying withdrawal. As if a thousand spiders were taking possession of her body. You'll never believe it until you see it. You'll never forget the touch of the spider. Listeners, I would like to point out right off the bat that this week's guest chose the movie. So anything that happens from this point on, it's his fault. Just saying. Tony, welcome to Monster Kid Radio. Welcome back. It's been a little while. Yes, I've been on a deep soul-searching trip quest, if you will, after watching this movie. Oh, oh, yeah? Yes, because after watching it, despite my arachnophobia, I found myself rooting for the giant spiders to eat everybody. You know, and, and we'll get to this, I'm sure. There's something to be said for, like, I don't know, likable human characters, things like that. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Uh, Tony, you're a likable human character. How have things been for you? Pretty good. Pretty good. By the time this releases, hopefully the gigantic project will be back in full force. Had to put it uh, on hiatus for a tiny bit for daily life, but at the same time, I'm still active over at monkeyspidingrobots.com, one of the up-and-coming geek news websites on the internet. Yeah, I made sure there was a link to that in the show notes, and there will be this week as well. Uh, you've been kind of just cranking them out over there, over 200 articles, right? That is correct. And just recently, as it applies to Monster Kid Radio, I've seen in the last month Planet of the Apes, so solid, so solid, where I convince people to watch it for more than just an ending, which is unfortunately how it's typecast, just like, oh, the greatest twist ending ever, just like, it's almost two hours worth of other content instead of, you know, the two-minute ending to focus on there. No, there's a lot of really good material. I mean, the movie, it's, it's a classic from start to finish. Oh, yes. It's a classic. Yes. Yeah. And then I just recently checked out uh, Mothra, thanks to Rift Tracks. Mm-hmm. And I do show that you posted a review of your experience over there at monkeysfightingrobots.com. Again, there will be a link in the show notes to all this, so you go check it out. And not just because he gets like, you know, one-tenth of one penny or whatever per web page click. Go check out Tony's articles. He's a good writer. 
He's got something in the works that I don't think we're ready to talk about, but he's a good writer, and I'm just going to say that. Thank you kindly. All right, all right. So, uh, speaking of good writing... They came from another planet to destroy the Earth. Giant spiders, 30 feet tall, clawing, crushing, killing everything in their paths. Never before was anything like them seen on Earth. The government and the military were in shock. Could anyone stop them? Could anyone stop the giant spider invasion? There's a transition to 1975's The Giant Spider Invasion. Now, I mentioned this last week. Typically, Monster Kid Radio likes to try to play in the 30s to the 60s sandbox, but every once in a while, there's an outlier. And I think when you look at just the movie poster for The Giant Spider Invasion, you can't help but think classic big bug monster movie from the 50s. I mean, it was an intentional design choice on the behalf of the poster makers, I'm sure, to try to evoke that sense. And, you know, there's maybe even a little bit of that in the movie itself. It does seem to straddle this kind of, we want to be a 50s monster movie, but it's a 70s drive-in movie kind of thing happening here. I, I don't know, man. There's, there's a lot to unpack if we really wanted to get into it. I can't help but wonder with the whole, you know, talking about what it wants to be between, you know, drive-in movie and uh, uh, actual monster fic uh, proper. I can't help but wonder, was there a budgetary thing that happened that they like found themselves unable to do you know what they wanted to do because there are a couple moments in the movie that are really really good in terms of the effects they have and everything and then there are some moments where uh they went to the local halloween store and picked up some things for their effects I mean, one of the best examples I can think of is the scenes where uh, the, like, close-up of the main principal giant spider, it looks awesome. It, you know, it's got the right camera angle, so you don't really see as much. Right. And, you know, fangs coming out at just the right points. But then you go to, like, what the wife experiences. She basically gets, like I said, a Halloween decoration thrown at her. Yeah, when she opens up that drawer, especially, and that thing just kind of pu- – yeah. Um, pipe yeah. cleaners. No, 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 not pipe cleaners. Uh, what's bigger than pipe cleaners but fuzzy and looks tube-shaped? Right. No, I, I – yeah. I, I don't know what that would be, but I know what you're talking – yeah. I mean, it has this kind of cheap knockoff. Somebody went down to the Spirit Halloween store, dropped about 20 bucks, spring-loaded it, and, and called it good. You know, the budget for this thing was about $300,000. And I don't know what that translates to, like, dollars now. I mean, this was 1970s, $300,000. It was a regional production. It was shot, I believe, in the Wisconsin area. So it's not like they had a big studio nearby to kind of rely on and, and bring in, you know, the cast and crew and talent that you would need for something like this, I would think. There was a, a big push for regional filmmaking out of the 70s and 80s where you would have these pockets of just really interesting filmmaking happening. You know, I'm thinking about like Don Doler, who was, was a regional filmmaker where he was at making so many films. And Bill Rabane, the director of this, I, I could see being cut from that same cloth, just kind of making the movie however they possibly could. And if that means some of the special makeup effects or, or special effects suffer a little bit, well... You know, the classic monster movies I love so much, they have those issues, too. You know, the budget doesn't always 
match the intention. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, but it almost feels like they would have uh, been better scaling back a bit. If you know yeah. what I'm saying, because yeah. uh, like, because like I said, it's great on the close-ups of the giant spider. It looks actually still terrifying, but then you actually zoom out to get the shot going of it moving and it coming across the hill to take care of the thing, which was, of course, famously just a Volkswagen Beetle with the artificial fur and two red glowing eyes in the front. They didn't even try to make it look like he it had eight, the classic octagonal uh, look that spiders have with their eyes. They have eight. They have eight eyes too, right? I I don't sure. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, but like I said, I have like I have arachnophobia. I am not Google searching that for images. <laughs> you haven't spent enough time just staring into the eyes of a spider to count how many. No, not so much. <laughs> I think you're right. I think sometimes when it comes to low budget movie making, you, I feel like you should probably at least be aware of what you're. I don't want to say limitations. Your, your capabilities are. I mean, sure, push it. You know, really work against your your restrictions and you know do everything you possibly can. But sometimes, maybe you've bit off more than you can chew. I know that I've done that with my student films back in the day, where it's just man, if I had just decided to do it this way or that way, not show this, not show that, maybe something would have worked out a little bit better. I'm right there with you. I found myself trying. My first novel is, well, it's never going to see the light of day again. Just the first thing I ever remember got a full novel version of back in college. Mm-hmm. It's just better left, burned, and buried instead of trying to make anything of it. I tried grand science fiction for my first time, and that was a bad idea. It can be tough. But then, overall, I still feel like the movie offers enough to smile about and not just because i kept waiting for gilligan to turn up because the sheriff's first lines are hey little buddy you know i just what was that yes Uh, that 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 was intentional that had to have been intentional right yes he says what's up little buddy to davy who is uh in his 30s for crying out loud at least or late 20s at the very least what guy is going to want to be called Little Buddy when he's that old? Especially because, you know, he's working for his dad at the paper. You know, he's already got enough uh, going on with the whole, you know, having to report to his dad every time and being compared to his dad by working for, at his job. You know what? I'll be honest. If the skipper from Gilligan's Island wanted to say, hey, Little Buddy, to me, I'd be okay with that. Fair enough. I mean, who's gonna t- who's gonna correct him? <laughs> so yeah, we've got Alan Hill Jr. in this movie, the skipper from Gilligan's Island, and I know that he's got he had a career outside of what we saw on television. I know, but because Gilligan's Island is one of those things that's so intrinsic to just the pop culture, that's what he's known for, and it's so hard to watch him without expecting something from Gilligan's Island to turn up. And they address that at the very beginning by having him use the line from Gilligan's Island. So, I mean, it's right there. They play it out, you know, put it on the table immediately, and then you can move on. And you know what? I'm on board. I had fun hanging out with him. Why not? 
Why not? I don't know if I really believed he could save a town from giant spiders, but you know what? I'm, I'm okay with that. Let me hang out with the skipper. At least he was trying. I mean, at least he was there trying to control the chaos instead of being one of those kind of sheriffs that was willing that, you know, like, oh, I don't have to listen to you sciencey types. You don't know anything about my town. It's my town. And I wonder, is that a 70s thing? I remember when I had Chris McMillan on the show and we talked about the movie Zat. That was also a 70s monster movie. I'd have to go back and check. I haven't watched Zat in a long time. What, I don't remember there being a lot of animosity between the science and the law enforcement. And I, I didn't get that animosity here at all. I thought it was actually kind of refreshing to have the scene where they're just kind of hanging out in the bar, drinking and talking about what they're going to do and the giant black hole that's turned up in town. Do we want to go into it now or later <laughs> about the need to have a physics degree to understand what the people are talking about in this movie. Well, do you really need to have a physics degree, or did somebody just read a physics book once, pick out a few words, and decide to throw it in there and hope it all made sense? <laughs> it's really the science of this thing doesn't make sense at all. Yes, but at the same time, just like, why? It's even more so, why would you do this? They did make it because overcomplicated. They, not only did they make it overcomplicated, it starts by a comet coming down from the from space, and just like, just call them aliens. They're alien giant spiders. There's an alien bacteria causing them to grow. Sure. You know, we're already watching a movie where we're expecting a giant spider to put people in its web and eat them, which ironically didn't happen the entire movie. The way the spiders kill people are not the traditional spider death. I mean, we've seen, well, you've got arachnophobia, so I don't know how many spider movies you've seen, but when I think about some of the movies in which there are spiders that are run amok, you see the traditional, you know, um, up in a web, all cocooned up, drained of blood or whatever, not just eating the whole person full, you know, just sucking it all in and calling it good. I, I've seen, yeah. I've seen uh, Earth versus the giant spider actually and one of the first deaths that they have on screen is a person being tangled in the web right okay yeah no, that's a good film i like that movie a lot okay whatever whatever works whatever works it's a 70s it's a drive house thing maybe we're kind of trying to appeal to the drive house aesthetic with some of the deaths here but you're right there isn't a lot of web work there are some webs but it's kind of like they're an afterthought almost it may be thrown in there as a joke to explain why the drunk person you know, the drunk wife isn't cleaning house. I don't know. Anyway, you mentioned that comet, and it is probably the slowest comet ever. Uh, they keep cutting away to the revival, the, the, the church meeting. Was that supposed to be a smoking gun, Chekhov's gun situation? Where just like, you know, <laughs> the, because they, they got the preacher, he's talking about hellfire and brimstone. Were we briefly supposed to think about the idea that... Uh, well, I think they kind of did say that, yes, it's hell, that, you know, that they have opened it up, to, that the comet opens things to another dimension. So that dimension could be hell, a hell full of giant spiders. I mean, I know my hell is filled with giant spiders, but. <laughs> now I want to see somebody make a movie called Hell Full of Giant Spiders. <laughs> I'd watch that movie in a minute. Um you know, I don't know if that's what they were trying to go for. Or not. I mean, it is the 70s again, and religious horror, occult horror, that sort of thing is big at this point, right? So throw some of that in there. I feel like, though, as with a lot of things in this movie, there's a lot of things that are thrown in 
that probably weren't needed in terms of making an effective film. There are so many subplots happening here, so many things that are crammed in that could have been easily excised and made a tighter film, a film that probably wouldn't cost nearly as much money. I feel like this whole thing with the revival and the preaching, it wasn't needed. It was there at the beginning. It's referenced a few times, but then it just falls off the, the story map until the very end when we start cutting back to the a close-up of the preacher preaching while they're dealing with the spiders. It just seemed like one element or two elements too many. One quick draft with this thing, and it could have made it at least a bit more tolerable. Well, to, to, to a point, really, you know, at least a little bit more polished. You got to ask, you know, what could they've actually exercised without taking away the, I guess the word is charm that comes from this movie or lack thereof because of, uh, like the idea of how much would you want to, you know, you start altering the characters or, you know, make plot, have their plots go away. It's almost like, well, then they become less terrible individuals and stuff. Because, like I said, rooting for the Transfires, there's near next to no one in this cast who is redeemable. I mean, there's like, do we want to go into that now with sure, the uh, yeah. cast and just how bad they are? Okay, let, let's just uh, count. Let's just count up all their sins, shall we? The drunk sister who's you know calling somebody in the middle of the night, saying, "If you were to bring me something, I'd be very appreciative." Her cheating husband Dan is banging Helga the barmaid. Danny is. Not without uh, problem himself because oh, he's, da- he's, da- he's dating uh, Terry, who's uh, Eve's underage sister. And Terry is, well, she's hot and she knows it. You know, she's mm-hmm. not innocent in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. She gets home late, talks with uh, Dan a bit, and, you know, she's teasing him about what her measurements are. I mean, yeah, he's a pervert, but at the same time, just like, don't give fuel to the fire here, lady. Seriously, just get out of there as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, even our doctor, Dr. Vance, is, I mean, he's old school scientist. He's looking for his, uh, the individual he's supposed to contact for extra help with the physics and looking for uh, Dr. Langer. And when he meets her, he pulls the whole, uh, I'm here for your father, right. husband, <laughs> right. brother. Just like, you know, after the first one, you probably should have understand what you get, what you're doing here, and stop letting the shoe go further down your mouth. Good point. No, you're you're right. And uh, is that a holdover again from '50s monsters? I I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching here. But yeah, everybody in this film, they're either just disagreeable and unlikable characters, or are just flat. I think the only character that I really had an attachment to was the skipper. I mean, the sheriff. And that's because he was the skipper. You know, it wasn't because of anything in this movie. It's because I grew up watching him on Nick and Knight every night. And say what you will about, you know, oh, he was only the skipper and he was typecast as such. At least it seems like he was having fun. Sure. You know, he was smiling. You know, he was getting into the role a little bit of all that good stuff. Yeah, he's just enjoying himself. Everyone else is just deadpan or, you know, not fun. He even has an opportunity to kind of crack wise a little bit in the script, or maybe he brought that to the table himself. But the 
joy that he has talking with some of the other characters here when he gets the phone call and he's like, well, you should call the auto shop. They open at nine sharp and, you know, the electric, you know, this, it's a, it's a boring scene that by all rights probably could have been left on the cutting room floor, but he makes it fun because he's smiling and having fun the whole time. I do want to comment though on Barbara Hale, uh, speaking of the other Hale in this movie, not related, I don't think, to Alan Hale Jr., uh, who played the sheriff or the skipper. Barbara Hale is the lady doctor, and she also, I believe, has a lot of television in her, a lot of Perry Mason. Uh, she has a very distinct voice, a very memorable voice. So even if you just close your eyes and you hear her, you, you can envision who she is. I thought she did okay, except for the end when she has to play the woman card. You know, and when I say that, I mean the low-budget genre film woman card, or maybe even just movie card of the 70s where, oh, no, there's spiders in the flare box. Oh, you know, it just. Hey, I would have been in the same position. I mean, there were, you know, those things are, those things are everywhere, you know, traumatized. <laughs> How long would you have lasted in this movie? Not very long. Okay. Uh, once, uh, <laughs> once they start, uh, even the, I had actually, I had more trouble watching it when the tarantulas are crawling around more than anything. Well, and those, those are real, right? Because those yeah, are real. So those are real and those are horrifying. So yeah, I would have bolted pretty quick. And unlike everyone else who, I mean, they've got like, Four or five of them hatching around the house, and how do they not notice that? How do they, how does Eve and Dan not notice? You know, you got like five or six things that are you know big as a small cat climbing around your house. I mean, we see them at one point pull out the fly swatter, like, oh, there's so many spiders, but you know, the, these are big enough that you don't need a fly swatter at this point, right? You, there, there's more fuzzy eight legs than just what, you know, it's just a lot. And the characters seem pretty oblivious to it until it's too late. Yeah. Oblivious to it. Like making the world's worst cocktail. <laughs> All right. I was going to ask you about that. And maybe I just looked away or looked down at my coffee cup at the wrong time. Was there supposed to be a spider in the blender? Yes. That's awful. Oh, there is a uh, thing, but, there's a cutaway, but there's just enough of a cutaway for uh, them to put something else in. You know, they didn't actually kill a spider, but they put something in there that she then drank, which was big enough for the effect of looking like she did chop up a spider. I mean, thanks to the cutaways for like, you know, when they show her using an iron to flatten one. So it's obvious, you know, no, so I'm probably sure somewhere in the credits there's no spiders were her in the in the filming of this uh, picture. They, she still, you know, probably had to put, you know, rubber spider or something that, you know, as she's starting to blend her uh, Bloody Mary to make it look like there was something in there. And that's just like, no. The no. way they kept doing this, she brings it to her lips and then puts it down. And then he grabs it and sniffs at it and he puts it down. You know, they're, they're trying to play up the suspense here. You know, that's actually smart filmmaking. But, yeah, I mean, how do you miss that? Really, how do you miss a spider falling in the blender? Well, apparently I did because I was drinking my coffee instead. I should have checked it for spiders. But, yeah. Yeah. Ew. Ew, ew, ew. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I worry that maybe listeners sound like we're kind of lukewarm about the whole thing. I'm going to be honest, and and you know, I can't speak for you. I'm going to be honest. As troubling as some of this film is, 
as difficult as it is to get through some of this and to find characters to latch on to, I still smiled the entire time. It's such a goofy movie. It's so, so sincere. They're trying so hard. I couldn't help but just get in on board. Now, that said, we have a lot of problems with the movie. The whole thing is perfect for uh, what it eventually came to, which was being a goldmine for Mystery Science Theater. And that's how you first saw it, right? Yes, that's how I first saw it. And uh, until recently, I actually found I saw it for the first time uh, just yesterday, prepping for the uh, podcast by watching it uh, without the Mystery Science Theater. And I'm just thinking, oh, God, I need Tom Serro and Crow T. Robot right now. Come to me, guys. I need your aid. Wow. Okay. I don't know if I've actually seen this MST3K. Was it a Mike episode or a Joel episode? It was. It was Mike, and it was when they were on, uh, I believe, Sci-Fi Channel. Okay. I think a few years ago, there was actually a Bill Rabin film festival, and Mike was there to kind of host the thing. That's why I thought it was a Mike show. I'd have to go back and double-check. I I have a love-hate relationship with MST3K, and you you mentioned covering the Mothra thing. I didn't really comment too much on that. I could totally see them having a field day with this. From the moment the movie starts, from the first high little buddy to the voiceover of the preacher over the end credits, I could see them having a just a field day unloading on this thing. Now I think I want to go watch it. <laughs> now that I've seen the movie straight, now I want to go watch it on MST3K. I mean, you, you almost kind of have to. Like I said, they really uh, had some moments and they were just like, you're scratching your head because it goes from like really good at times with the budget and whatnot, like in the close-up scenes. And then, you know, the Volkswagen Beetle, I'm just like, oh, just like those eyes. Those eyes are what what hurt it, you know? I mean, seriously. If they all they needed to do was have just a little bit more of a redesign, and it would have looked better. It does come across looking like a very, very low-budget attempt at like a parade float. It really doesn't seem very menacing. And maybe part of it's because they they do show it in its full glory. I mean, we see a couple of full shots of the spider, and it's like, well, it doesn't look scary anymore now that we can see that it's not scary anymore, you know? And I, and mm-hmm. I wonder if they could have gotten a little bit more creative with the camera work, try to hide it a little bit, or, like you said, maybe work a little bit more on the eyes. There's just something when you go from the live little spiders to the real spiders to the the springing dresser drawer spider with Ev, to the giant spider running around town. It just, you lose some of the credibility. But you know what? For all of that, the skipper sure seems scared. (laughs) He reacts to it like, hey, all right. You know, and and at least he was consistent the whole time. And maybe that's the key to some of these movies, is to have a, a consistent reaction to some of the lower budget monster effects. Speaking of uh, Skipper, can we talk about his uh, untimely end for a second? Yeah, I was so bummed. Not only is it bumming, it's bummed, it's just like how it happens, because it's like, did they? Imp- you said you had the Blu-ray version, you watched that, right? Right. Now, did you see any type of, uh, like, improvement on that? Because, yeah, it's just like, the version I watched, he just starts shooting at it, he gets closer, gets closer, and... All shadow. It's just no. You're we're supposed. They couldn't even do the cool effect of it being of him being eaten 
and being pushed in by the things like we got with uh, Terry, which was really that was a chilling moment. That that really is a cool, right, disturbing scene of him getting eaten. But seriously, just like going into the whole losing money aspect, it's just like, just like okay, um, you're like tilting your head, like okay, what's going on? Adjust brightness, just like I think he's getting eaten. Just like for all I know, they could be him and the skipper could have been playing patty cake. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't tell. I can't uh, see what's going on in the movie. It's not lit properly. It it was darker, and I wonder if some of that was the, um, you know, the budget, maybe changing the film stock. In fact, there were a couple of shots where it almost looked like maybe it wasn't really Alan Hale Jr., like it was a double. It It's not a very dignified way for him to go out. It just seems very, like, rushed and... You know, if it was a double, and I'd have to go back and double-check and really analyze that scene and scrutinize it. If it was not him, if it was somebody else in that role at that point, uh, I wonder if maybe part of it was because Alan Hill Jr. was not available, was not going to do a scene in which some fake blood comes down his back. Uh, who knows? But no, it's not a very good scene, his demise. And then if you look at the story, too, the story structure, what did he do wrong? Why does that character have to be one who gets killed? He didn't do anything wrong. Now, I know with monster movies, a lot of times, you know, the innocent must suffer, that sort of thing. I get that. But this movie has kind of established itself as a film in which the skeevy characters, the characters who are clearly, quote-unquote, doing something wrong, whether you're having an affair or you're trying to hit on the girl whose home you just happen to walk into while she's coming out of the shower and trying to scam her with the diamonds. These are people who are doing things that, quote-unquote, need to be punished. The sheriff didn't do anything wrong. You know, it's awfully late in the game to change the meta-motivations of what this movie's trying to do here. No, I totally see it. It's just like, uh, Cousin Billy definitely deserved to be, uh, <laughs> die in the humiliation of glory in <laughs> big plays. But yeah. Glory that he did. I mean, he sees a tranche in the car and starts to freak out, which I would, too. Then he runs into Mama Spider, who's huge, and barely survives, and then still freaks out and crashes thanks to Baby Spider. It's just like, you know, after seeing something that big, you know, I'm pretty sure I'll just be like, okay, you know, brush you off. I I, I think I've, you know, faced my fear. Right, right. And he almost gets out. That's the thing. That It's humiliating because he crashes the car. The car catches fire. He gets out of the car. He is trying to break through the window of the building he just crashed into, even though he did just leave a big hole in the side of the building with the car road. But anyway, he's trying to get out, and he almost gets out of the window, and then, then he goes. Then the whole thing catches fire. So, so close. Oh, well. And then, of course, you know, you've got Dutch, who clearly gets what he deserves. I guess they're growing pot. And the person who's cheating on the wife and lying about it and just not being a very good partner. You know, the way he goes out, certainly justified. I mean, all these people, when the spiders get them, when they fall to the eight-legged terror of the giant spider invasion, that was a stretch, they deserve it. And you're like, okay, I, I get it. But when the skipper goes or when the sheriff goes, it's like, oh, come on now. Yeah, just like the only two that uh, don't deserve it are the sheriff and that guy at the beginning who was just going home to visit his wife after, you know, while he was on his motorcycle. Right, right. 
and unfortunately buys it and gets stuck in the middle of nowhere because of the whole, but what what they say, some kind of uh, EMP, they caused an EMP pulse as the dimensional rift opened and... (laughs) Sure, okay. (laughs) It's the best, just just let them have their pseudo-science that they insist makes sense and just go with it. You mean there's a black hole? that, And if things can go into it, things can come out of it, and let's shoot it full of neutrons and let... What? Oh, do you do, let, do we want to go there already? Do we want to go how, into the whole how they fixed this angle? Sure. Again, this is where you need your physics degree to understand what's going on. Now, now, what what did he say exactly? <laughs> it was uh, okay. It's the whole uh, you know. I almost want to think Toho science. I want to give more credit to Toho science and the Godzilla versus Mothra. Oh, we can just cover you with some gas and that'll get rid of the radiation that's around you moments because uh what what is it exa- again uh hook up the neutron to the <laughs> flux capacitor to initiate i mean i mean seriously what what happened here i mean it's just uh i mean it, 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 i don't know what comes down to you know bomb will fix everything and but it's just like you just learned about the existence of a black hole that's letting all this stuff in. Like, well, how much time passes in this thing? And maybe this is the difference between 70s science and science now. There's a black hole. There's something coming through and making the giant spiders happen. Well, let's not figure out how or why. Let's just kill it all. Destroy the. You know, then we'll deal with it later. And maybe that's just a 70s mindset. But yeah, this. Let's call NASA. Let's get this neutron gun set for maximum dispersal or whatever it is they say. Neutron bomb. It's just like, yeah. okay, okay. How did you make a neutron bomb? I mean, have you ever even heard of the Manhattan Project? Well, yeah, let's time for the science corner. How long was the Manhattan Project? Well, and typically in these movies, it's science that makes the bugs big in the first place by accident. Yep. So I don't know if it was an intentional. Let's kind of play with that idea, or, or what. But tell you what, if giant spiders showed up here with all the monster movies that I've seen, and I know that radiation, science, neutrons, black holes, cosmic rays, all that, all they do is make the problem bigger because that's what life in a monster movie is: being terrified of the accidental radiation, something or other. Uh, no, no. <laughs> You call the army, you call it, you, you, you burn it, you nuke it from orbit, something. Don't throw more science at it. Yes, more science at it will only result in bad things happening. Right. And I think maybe I'm going to go through when I do the edit here. Every five to ten minutes while we're talking here, I'm going to put a little insert. But we really liked the movie. because <laughs> I did really like the movie. But we are, yeah, there's a lot to be critical about. You know, it, it's the whole... Yeah, we like it, but, you know, at the same time, it's just, there is so much to nitpick it on. I mean, you know, like I said, close-ups, Cousin Billy, uh, Terry being eaten, that is legitimately uh, freaky. But then you got, like, you know, the neutron bomb going off and cut to, what what was that, melted uh, marshmallow? By the look of it, as the, as the giant spider dies, just melted marshmallow. You know, I don't know what it was, but I actually thought it was pretty effective. I think it was the best the close-up of the monster looked. 
was when it was falling apart. <laughs> but whatever it was, I mean, it was a cheap, low-budget effect. I, I kind of did, did didn't work for you. Um, I don't know. Maybe if it wasn't all just pure white, like it, like I said, like marshmallow. Okay. Maybe if uh, it was, of course, you know that like they were shooting at night, so I guess it was like the best thing that they could work with, but. I don't know. Maybe if a little bit more red, you know, something to show some more blood or something. Okay. Well, they didn't shy away from the blood. There is blood in this, and not just kind of blood spattered. You actually see blood coming out of people. There's a flow, which definitely makes it not like a 50s monster movie. But I still respect that and reacted well to the way they did that. Um, As poor as this... I keep calling him the skipper, the skipper, as poor as the, the sheriff's death was portrayed. The fact that there was blood coming out the way that it was, I was impressed. I was like, hey, that's a 70s monster movie right there. And I think they're doing OK there. I just wish we could see it a little bit better. Uh, you know, when they did the effects, it was good, but way too much stock footage and stuff for, you know, again, you know, low budget. So we stock footage, just like the whole going into science and military and radar dishes and the B-52, which apparently actually crashed. There's another <laughs> thing going into the whole, they didn't explain it properly. That uh, airliner going across the sky, that military plane, yeah, that crashed. But they couldn't show us the crash, mind you. Right. You know, normally assume that unless you see some kind of fire and explosion, you can go, oh, okay, I guess they must have found a way back and uh, landed safely afterwards. But no, thanks to throwaway dialogue, it's revealed that, yeah, they burned. Everybody went down just like, okay, wow. Yeah, that would warrant full investigations. But again, you didn't show that to us. Yeah, it's another one of those situations where there's this extra subplot they threw in there that they really, really didn't need to throw in there. Actually, they need to throw it in there, but they need to make uh, a bigger point to it. I mean, could you have had – I mean, we got throwaway dialogue. You, you couldn't have someone throw a folder on a table with crash scene photos in it or something along those lines. Let us actually know that, yeah, bad things happened and it's integral to the plot. Give us a line of dialogue to give us the reason why it's important or just let it go altogether. Because as it stands right now, it just seems like a distraction. Oh, well. I'm a film score guy, so I always respond to music in these things. And I feel like the music choices in this worked for what it was supposed to be. I, I would not be surprised to learn that it might have all been you know, library music. In fact, a quick scan through the credits. Yep, it's all stock music. But, you know, they chose good stock music, so I'm on board with that. I'd buy a CD of the stock music just because that's... The kind of weirdo that I am. So I'd pick that up for sure. Now, supposedly there's a musical. You you said that. I remember back in the when we first started talking about maybe we should cover this. You said there was a musical. So I'm trying to find information about this. And listeners, you know, if there are any Bill Rabane Uber fans out there uh, or big fans of the Giant Spider Invasion, I guess for years he was working on trying to get a musical off the ground. I don't know if it ever happened. I haven't been able to find anything online, like reviews of it, any YouTube videos, anything like that. But there is a CD that came with the VCI release that came out not too long ago 
of musical numbers from the Giant Spider Invasion musical. And I had I went to try to listen to it before we started recording, but we're kind of rearranging my computer area right here, and I can't find it. Uh, so I, I didn't get a chance to listen to it. But I remember there being like a rap song in there and a few other bits here and there. You listened to it, didn't you, when we first started talking about this months ago? I was unable to – I had just as much problems with having an open to uh, track it down. I mean, it's around here somewhere, and I'll, I'll try to track it down. But, uh, yeah, supposedly there's a, a musical that either happened or was going to happen. At least it got far enough in the process to where they released or, or produced a CD of music. I don't know how it would have worked on stage. Maybe the spiders would have looked better because we wouldn't have been able to get too close to them. Anything's better than the last Starfighter musical. The last Star... Was there really a musical, The Last Starfighter? Yes. Wow. Uh, I believe it. Uh, its run was like uh, maybe a year at the most or something like that. I know. I hear... I keep finding it open... September 28, 2007, and I, I just can't find where it closes. But yeah, apparently it, it got like maybe six months. I remember a friend saying something about that. Wow. You know, I kind of want to see it. <laughs> Joke aside for The Last Starfire, anything is better than the Spider-Man musical. Ooh. That one hurts, yes. We all, we all know that one hurts. So, apparently there is a cast recording of the last Starfighter musical on uh, Amazon. I'll have to uh, give that a listen later. Huh. So, in 2011, the website Dread Central talks about the Giant Spider Invasion being remade as a musical comedy. Again, I can't find anything else, but some of the titles from the song list. What script? No script. I know I am a Volkswagen Spider. <laughs> I know I'm a Volkswagen Spider. That's awesome. Uh, let's see. Scientists in Love and I Am in a Bad Monster Movie. So now I do want to make sure I go track that down and listen to it again. That does sound good, actually. Uh, yeah. I, I hope it happened. I really do. And if it did and anybody had a chance to see it, please call on and let me know how it went. I mean, I would love to know how an audience reacted to the song, You Don't Know Rice Krispies from Rabbit Turds. That's what I want to know. <laughs> oh, oh. All right. So we've been talking a little bit about the movie. What else is there to say here? <sighs> Are you going to watch it again? Probably. But again, you know, I need the boys of mystery science theater for their help. Okay. Seriously, this one, it just, you know, it might be better if you watch it with somebody. It's just one of those more elements of it needs something else. Okay. It needs a friend to watch it with. You need to give it a little bit. Of, you need to look at it jokingly. You need to look at it with Mystery Science Theater. The one problem is it's one of those movies where thing, good things can come out of it, but we really need assistance to make those good things appear. How does this movie affect you and your arachnophobia? Has it gotten you past it a little bit? Yes and no. Um, tarantulas still freak me out okay. like crazy. But if the clips were something more in terms of uh, what the giant spider was there, instead, you know, with the very lame attempt at uh, trying to cover up uh, what was going on, you know, with... Uh, you know, close-up shots, that kind of thing. That would freak me out. Or, you know, the wide-angle thing. I could work 
with that. But it seems like, you know, watching every time I go back to like the black and white ones, such as Earth versus the giant spider, and then they have the just transposed tarantula crawling over, that still gets to me. I still question to this day, what were those kids in Earth versus the giant spider thinking? Were they that desperate for a dance hall that they would strike <laughs> up the band as a giant spider corpse is seriously 10 feet away? I mean, I mean, there's the giant hey, spider corpse in the gymnasium. Okay, this is the school, and this is a thousand yeah, miles away on the coast away from said giant spider corpse. When rock and roll calls you, you answer. And if it calls you to the auditorium, <laughs> it calls you to the auditorium with the dead spider in it. Because it has so much power. Yes. The power to back a giant spider from the dead. It does, man. Rock and roll is power. We giggle. We laugh a little bit. These movies are so comforting to me. And I think I am going to go back and watch this. In fact, I did not get a chance to watch the documentary before we started recording. It just... This week has been a wash, and I didn't get a chance to go back and watch that. But there is a short documentary on the Blu-ray that I picked up. It's produced by Ballyhoo Motion Pictures, Daniel Griffith, who does a lot of these documentaries on the Mystery Science Theater box sets that come out. Uh, just not too long ago, put out a documentary as a standalone, which I've been wishing he would do for years. The documentary was called They Came from the Swamp, the films of William and I apologize, Greff, Greffy, I haven't watched the documentary yet, but it's basically about the guy who made the movies um, Sting of Death, Death Curse of Tartu, and uh, those movies I love. Again, kind of inept in some areas, but still like them. And uh, yeah, I mean, he does great work. So I think when I'm done recording here with Tony, I'm going to go and I'm going to watch that documentary and maybe in the outro of the show, I'll talk a little bit about it. But I will go and I will watch this movie again, both straight and MST3K. Now, uh, you said you that was was that documentary on the Blu-ray? It is. Yeah, the Blu-ray has that. There's a handful of different material on the Blu-ray itself. Uh, you've got this 60-minute documentary called Size Does Matter. That's the one I was just talking about. Uh, there is uh, like an interview with Bill Rebane, an interview with... Robert Eason, one of the actors in the movie. Just a number of, of cool little special features on there. There's like a Super 8 version of the movie, like a home movie version uh, on here as well. So, you know, it's fun. I, I'm sure. I mean, it's a fun package. I'm sure I'm going to enjoy going through and watching them. I myself uh, caught it off of uh, OV Guide. Okay. It's one of the many streaming channels available for free off of uh, Roku Box, basically. They got an online site too. OV Guide is like, like the ultimate monster kid scavenger hunt. Okay. Because they have the perfect mixture of mystery science theater fodder movies, such as, you know, Giant Spider Invasion or Crash of the Moons is on there. Attack of the Giant Leeches is also there. But then it has some really good movies that people have to check out. For example, they have, and this is how I watched first time, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, yeah. And they've got Logan's Run on there, too. Oh, wow. Okay. Some good stuff. you got some weird stuff. What are you as a movie? I mean, seriously, as a movie channel. Recently on Facebook, you mentioned watching Creature, and uh, I was going to bring that up. So thanks for the segue. i got to ask, it was your first time viewing. What did you think? 
Wow. Yeah? You were right. Okay. You were so right. It's just, it is so good. I've kicked myself now for not watching it sooner. Okay, we can still be friends then. Okay, good. I, I always worry. <laughs> well, that's no, good. That's... <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It uh, it will definitely get watched. I might have to actually go out and track down that set of all three movies that they've been releasing through like Walmart or something. But I, before that, I should probably uh, take the time to uh, finish up the uh, Frankenstein set I got. Some good stuff there, too. Some good stuff there, too. I'm glad you dug it, though, man. That's good to know. That's good to know. You went up in level, I guess. I, something. I, I don't know. Level up? That's right. That's right. Uh, no, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, is Creature available as a standalone Blu-ray right now? I'm sure it is. I don't know if it, I can double check Amazon right now while we're talking about it. I know that they've been really pushing those uh, universal packs of, mm-hmm. of uh, re-releasing all different uh, things. But yeah, it looks like it is available. I'm looking right now. Uh, I have it as part of that box that they put out a few years ago. You know, the big monsters, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, and all that. But yeah, you can get your hands on it that way. And uh, if you're really interested. The sequel, Revenge of the Creature, is available on Blu-ray in Germany. If you have a multi-region Blu-ray player, you can check that out as well. And I think the third and final film might be out there somewhere on Blue. I'd have to double-check. Yeah, the ones I'm talking about is uh, the Legacy Collection yes. that Universal has been releasing mm-hmm. with all the... Yeah, and Creature, of course, comes with Creature from the Black Lagoon, Return of the Creature, and The Creature Walks Among Us. Yes, yes. So that Legacy set... If it's the same as the DVD release, what I like about that is that unlike some of the other legacy sets with the Frankenstein movies or the Dracula films, they don't all have commentary tracks. This set, the legacy collection, each one of the creature films has a commentary track. So you've got future commentary on three films. Uh, Bob Burns is involved in a couple. Well, Tom Weaver is involved in all three of them. So it's... Certainly worthy of adding to your collection if you're a fan. I would highly recommend it. And not just because Clint Eastwood's first film is Revenge of the Creature. He's in it for like 90 seconds. Well, that's good, man. I'm glad you enjoyed the film. Really good to hear it. I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to to put you on the spot. Is prepared to hit mute if you started saying you didn't like it. But I'm glad I didn't have to. <laughs> no, no. The, the, effect, the creature still remains one of the most iconic characters ever. I mean, that suit was just, oh, man. It's great. Why couldn't they have more? That suit is amazing. Then there's some changes made for the follow-up films. Not a lot. Um, but this one, the pinnacle man, right there. Solid work. Well, good. No. No. Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon. In 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams, every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. And I'm not just excited because he gave me an opportunity to uh, play the Creature from the Black Lagoon trailer on the show again. So that's awesome. Thank you. (laughs) No problem. All right. So we've got Creature Talk. We've been talking about the Giant Spider Invasion. I would recommend picking it up on Blu-ray. I believe it's pretty affordable right now, like less than $15 uh, through VCI. You can get your hands on it pretty easily that way. If you're a monster movie fan, even though this came from the 70s, if you like 50s monster movies, I think this is still something you'll want to add to your collection. Or see if you can track it down as the MST3K version like Tony's going to. 
or like Tony has, I guess, is how you've got it now, right? But either way, that's Tony's pick. My pick would be the Blu-ray itself. Uh, and again, uh, it's only it is only sixteen dollars, oh. uh, sixteen seventy five on uh, Amazon, right sixteen forty one actually. Okay, how do you top that? I don't think we can really. Yeah, for what it is, I think so. And I think if you go straight to VCI Entertainment, yeah. So check this, VCIEntertainment.com. Buy it from them, ten dollars and fifty cents on Blue. Boom. Just tell them that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio, and maybe they'll uh, send us a toaster or something. I don't know. Or discount. Hey, there Get you the go. free Prime service. Hey, there you go. There you go. All right, so we talked a little bit about uh, the website you're working for right now, writing for right now. Let's see. By the time this goes out, the most recent article you put up was an article about some of your favorite Netflix picks coming up for the month of September. Got anything else in the works you can tell us about what's happening at monkeysfightingrobots.com? I got a couple lists I want to go over that I need to finish up. I just need to, you know... They've been on the docket, just need to get them done. As a much more recent thing that I know fans will love is uh, anyone that's enjoyed that new uh, Voltron Legendary Defender cartoon, I'm going to work on getting a top ten scenes from the first season before the second season comes out. Okay. And if I had more time, I could do the research to uh, back – I don't know if I told you, but back in the day, we actually had a tweet requesting best universal or – monster movie old school monster movies to watch in october okay is that something you're working on unfortunately i don't have the time this year but i really want to get that list out to people it just you know it just calls me like you have to do this it's like i don't got the time to get that one because i wanted to you know i'd want to get like i'd have to go pick up dracula and wolfman's uh and the wolfman's legacy collections to rewatch though to watch those to give double check, you know what I put on there. Do I want to go? Do I want to finally dig in and start my hammer viewing? Uh, I'm Ooh. not in a position right now. Yeah, to, uh, I hear you. My movie collection, um, and I'm terrible at this. I really am. I have so many movies in my collection right now that I want to sit down and watch. That I know I should, and especially if I'm calling myself a monster kid, there's no reason some of these movies are still in the shrink wrap. But it's just finding the time with everything else. You know, the day job, the writing, all the other movies, the podcasting, you know, there's so much going on that I just, if we can figure out how not to sleep, I think that might be part of it. Or get paid to watch movies. That would be good, too. Or the ability to copy ourselves. You know, that. Ah, send the clone to work. Exactly. Let them grow a goatee. Send them go to work. (laughs) People People talk about, you know, what mean power do you want? It's just like, okay, can I either make multiples of myself so I can get more things done or super speed? Just give me the super speed, and I'll make sure to get everything done. Nice. See, I typically go to time travel is what I want as my superpower, but I think, yeah, I think cloning might be good. I'll start. Mm. Because I'm sure there's not a monster movie in which that went horribly wrong. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> well, I know you've got something else in the works, too, that we're not quite ready to talk about, but listeners, stay tuned. You're going to be seeing Tony Wendell's name. Uh, on a new project coming up that I can't wait to see actually happen. Uh, so we've got that coming. And so, of course, as soon as you're ready to talk about it or you can talk about it, please let us know. We'll mention it here on Monster Kid Radio for all the listeners because I think they're going to dig it a lot. I know I will. And then, of course, the gigantic project once you go back to that where you're talking about all things big and large, you know, the stuff that we love. Oh, yes. I'll try to still use it to post uh, links to my reviews on 
monkeys fighting robots, like I did with uh, redirecting people for the Rift Tracks review of Mothra, or every time I do a Transformers comic. Also, uh, speaking of comics, uh, I, I highly suggest, best place is ever to plug it, checking out the new Kong of Skull Island from Boom Entertainment. Okay. It's a really good book, and it really is one of those few times that essential viewing comes from a uh, movie tie-in comic. Oh, all right. It is serving, seems to be serving as the prequel to the what's going to happen with the Samuel L. Jackson movie that'll come out next year. Is it a one-shot or is it an ongoing series? It, it's a mini-series. Okay. It's five issues. Issues one and two are out right now. And yeah, I really recommend it to people. Okay. I will put that on the list. Right on. Well, we'll definitely have you back on the show down the line, of course. Not just to talk about your upcoming project that I'm intentionally mentioning without mentioning. Um, Appreciate <laughs> but, it. <laughs> but uh, any other things that you've got coming up or any other movies, I'm sure there's plenty for us to talk about. It's the problem we have whenever – problem in quotes – that, that problem, we have whenever yes, we don't. have monster kids talking about these things. We just go on for hours. But I've got to wrap up because i got to edit this and get it out on the feed. Tony – Thank you so much for being part of Monster Kid Radio. Just overall and specifically this week and for wanting to talk about the giant spider invasion. I had a blast. No problem. I mentioned it at the end of my conversation with Tony. You can get the giant spider invasion on Blu-ray, the deluxe collector's edition straight from VCI Entertainment. It's $10.50. VCIEntertainment.com. You know what? I'll make sure there's a link to this in the show notes. Big thanks to Tony for being part of the show. You know, I had fun. I know that maybe we kind of picked on the movie a little bit more than I normally do here on the show. But that said, I still had a blast. From ear to ear, I'm grinning watching this thing. It is such a fun movie, even though it has some issues. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Those issues are part of the charm. The documentary, Size Does Matter, Making the Giant Spider Invasion, is a lot of fun to watch. Daniel Griffith and Ballyhoo Productions do incredible work when it comes to these documentaries on these niche films. Sometimes I actually buy the Mystery Science Theater 3000 Blu-rays and DVDs just for his documentaries. I will be going back to watch this movie again in the future, maybe even later this year, because it is just so darn fun again tony thank you for being part of the show thanks for bringing this to monster kid radio i hope the listeners dug it because i know i did an army of deadly predators searching destroying anything in their path he's over at colby's he's found another 20 or 30 hills just like the one we burned why did they come what do they want spiders in this area have organized themselves into an aggressive army william shatner Tiffany Foley, your nightmares will never be the same. Kingdom of the Spiders, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Hello everyone, I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are your hosts for Cast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashi. We, for over five years, have brought you the joys of Spanish cinema, filtered through our brains to you. Yes. Now, what is it that qualifies two Southern boys to talk about films that came out of Spain? And I can't think of a single thing. There's nothing that qualifies. Nothing. nothing. Except that we just love, love them, love them, love them. We love them. Nashi Cast yes. covers the films of Paul Nashi and any other Spanish horror film that we can pretend we know something about. Uh, yes. If you love beautiful women wearing 
incredibly short mini skirts in subarctic temperatures, <laughs> chased by werewolves in leisure suits. If you love werewolves, vampires, unidentifiable beasts, or crazy people driving women around and talking like a maniac. <laughs> yes, flying cats, beheadings with axes. <laughs> Blood that looks Sham- like melted crayons. Shambling zombies, yeah. Some of the films that we've covered in the past are Mark of the Werewolf. Howl of the Devil. Vengeance of the Zombies. Or Rises from the Tomb. Tombs of the Blind Dead. Vampire's Night Orgy. Ooh, Yes. Join us on this journey through the golden age of Spanish horror where Paul Nashi, Leon Klamowski, Jess Franco, Amando Diasorio take us through a filter Espanol. Join us for the Nashi cast. That is an incredible motion picture. An entire town goes berserk when a giant underwater creature attacks all human life. That is a frightening experience. Don't miss that. Thunderbird International Pictures presents The Death Curse of Tartuffe, a legend black with evil and red with the blood of innocent youth. Photographed in the forbidding depths of the Florida Everglades, this is the incredible story of an archaeological excursion planned as an educational adventure and ending as a blood-spattered nightmare of incarnate hallucinations. Cold and slimy creatures without mercy hunt and kill controlled by the soul of a rotting corpse. They danced over the grave of Tartu, who was restless in his coffin, and made passionate love on his burial mound until... They faced the terrible reality of the death curse of Tartu. Was it really a killer shark in the swamp waters, or was it... Tartu, who had sworn vengeance on all who disturbed his grave. If we sit here and wait, it's only a matter of time until Tartu will destroy us all. Thrill to the heart-stopping suspense of scenes that spare no detail of horror. See the bloody massacre of terrified youngsters as Tartu the Witch Doctor returns to wreak vengeance. See The Death Curse of Tartu, coming soon to this theater. You know, there's just something about giant spiders. I mean, giant bugs, that's a thing anyway when it comes to these classic monster movies. You know, Them, The Deadly Mantis, of course, Tarantula, a couple of other movies. I think Tony mentioned Earth versus the Giant Spider, sometimes also known as just the Giant Spider. There's just something about these giant eight-legged beasts. There's just something about these giant spiders that just appeal to us monster kids. So much so that some of us monster kids are actually making movies about them right now, or at least they have within the past couple of years. Of course you know who Christopher R. Mim is, right? I mean, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that Christopher R. Mim is an independent filmmaker. He's making retro monster movies Every year he puts one out, and a couple of years ago he put out the movie The Giant Spider. It is completely in the vein of Tarantula, Them, The Deadly Mantis, all of these movies, and I highly recommend you get your hands on that as well. Just go to thegiantspider.com. You can buy the DVD that way. And I bring it up not just because I believe in the movie and I think you're going to dig it, but because it's got an awesome theme song by the band The Night Hobbs, and I wanted an excuse to play it here on the show this week.
brings us to the end of this episode of monster kid radio thanks again to tony for being part of the show and thank you guys and gals for downloading the show you know if you downloaded the show through itunes and you're an itunes user please consider giving monster kid radio a review in the itunes store this episode is going out at the beginning of September with October right around the corner. And in previous years, iTunes has spotlighted some of the horror and monster podcasts on their front page. When you go to iTunes and look up podcasts, the more reviews we get, the more likely we may turn up there. I don't know. I don't know what the algorithms are, but I do know the more reviews we get, the better. Of course, the more likes we get in Facebook, the better as well. I know a bunch of you have joined the Facebook group lately. If you are a Facebook user, please consider looking up the Monster Kid Radio Facebook page and giving us a like we're trying to get to 1000 likes by the end of the year if you can help make that happen well i know you can help make that happen so thank you for your support on facebook thank you for sharing the post whenever a new episode goes out for sharing it with your friends on your facebook wall or for retweeting the tweets we just appreciate you helping to spread the word you can always direct people to our website monsterkidradio.net this is where you're going to find everything else you need to know about monster kid radio between episodes Find links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group there. If you're a podcaster and you want to download some promos to play on your own show, you can download them from our website here. We also have a link to every song that's appeared here on the show and our contact information there as well. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you have any input about the giant spider invasion, please feel free to call it in. But don't feel like you need to call in uh, to correct me on the mispronunciation I had of the last name of director William Graffay. Yeah, since I recorded that with Tony, I went back and I double-checked. It's William Graffay. And again, the documentary is called They Came From The Swamp. Haven't watched it yet. I want to, and chances are I'll be watching it before next week's episode. But I'm not going to talk about it on next week's episode because next week's episode, we're going to be talking about something else. We're going to be talking about Frankenstein. So two things happened this week. First of all, we had what some people are calling National Frankenstein Day. It happened a couple of days ago. Maybe. Uh, you know, you do a little bit more digging online, you can find there are actually two other Frankenstein days in the calendar year. The other two are in October. The reason there's one in August is that is the birth date of Mary Shelley, the person who wrote the original Frankenstein novel. But the other thing that happened that's Frankenstein related is unfortunately we lost Gene Wilder, who is the star of the movie Young Frankenstein, which for monster kids, I mean, it's a classic, even for non-monster kids. If you like Mel Brooks, you love this movie. If you like horror comedies, you love this movie. Young Frankenstein is a bonafide classic. One of these days, I wouldn't mind talking about it proper here on the show. It's coming from the deep, dark recesses of the mind of Mel Brooks. I love him. Young Frankenstein. Sky means business. Ah! Young Frankenstein. 
Oh dear, nothing left. What shall we throw in now? Starring Gene Wilder as Dr. Frankenstein. That's Frankenstein. But what about your grandfather's work, sir? My grandfather's work was doo-doo! Peter Boyle as the monster. <laughs> Marty Feldman as Igor. My grandfather used to work for your grandfather. I'm sure we'll get along splendidly. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Loris Leachman as Frau Blucher. You played that music in the middle of the night? Yes! To get us into the laboratory? Yes! And it was you who left my grandfather's book out for me to find? Yes! So that I would? Yes! Then you and Victor were? Say it. He was my boyfriend! Terry <laughs> Gar as Inga. Would you like to have a roll in the hay? Roll, roll, roll in the hay. Kenneth Mars as the inspector. And Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. Where am I? <coughs> Calm down. What are you going to do to me? <coughs> I'm not afraid of you. <coughs> Listen, I, I have to be back by 11.30. I'm expecting a very important call. Kill the monster! Storm your castle! Frankenstein. Yes, I think we could all use a good laugh. But don't see it alone. Don't miss Young Frankenstein, personally directed by Mel Blazing Saddles Brooks in black and white. No offense. With so many people posting clips of Young Frankenstein on Facebook this past week and with National Frankenstein Day happening, I thought, you know what, I want to devote an episode of Monster Kid Radio to... Frankenstein. Now, I did do this kind of sort of back in June of last year when I had author Frank Schildener on the show. It was episode 208. We talked about our top three favorite Frankenstein films. Episode 207, we talked about his novel Quest for Frankenstein. And yeah, there's a sequel to that. Uh, I don't think it's out yet, but it should be coming soon. Anyway, Frankenstein. I love Frankenstein. I love the story of Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster. And I want to talk about that love that I have for Frankenstein next week on Monster Kid Radio. And I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Do you have a favorite Frankenstein monster? Do you have a favorite Frankenstein film? Any comments, any thoughts that you have on Frankenstein, please feel free to call it in. Again, our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Or email me a wave or an MP3, an audio file of some sort at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Or if you just want to write an email, I'll read that on the show as well. Let's give this a deadline of, well, let's say Tuesday. September 6th, if you want to be on the Frankenstein episode next week. So that'll be coming. I'm excited for that. I've actually started preparing for that show already. I'm going to dig into my own history and past with the Frankenstein's monster in the story. It'll be a good time. So come back next week for that. Pay attention to monsterkidradio.net for any other announcements concerning upcoming episodes of Monster Kid Radio and other appearances and things and places that I may be like Portland's own comic book and pop culture convention, Rose City Comic Con. It's happening September 10th and 11th. Now, I'm only going to be going for one day. I'm going to be there as, well, 
an attendee. I'm going to be going there with Tom Doffel, who's appeared on the show a few times in the past. Important person when it comes to Monster Kid Radio, as far as I'm concerned, because he helped build the machine that I record on. So Tom's, you know, my boy. Anyway, I'm going to be going to Rose City Comic Con with him probably on September 10th. So if you're in the area and you're going to be at Rose City Comic Con, look me up. I can guarantee you I'll be wearing a Monster Kid Radio t-shirt, probably one of the tallest guys in the room. And yeah, I'll look like I'm having fun too. Okay. That's it. Let's wrap this up by letting you know that all original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song War of the Giants. That belongs to the band The Terrasars. It's from their album Zillasar. You can find them on Bandcamp, on Facebook, or just going straight to their website, TerrasarSurf.com. If you go to their website, you can find a page for all of their upcoming gigs, places they're going to be playing. They're based out of Birmingham. So if you're in the area, I mean, they got a show coming up on September 22nd. They got a show coming up on October 1st, October 7th. It looks like they're going to be busy in October and November. And good for them. They're a good band. I dig what they do. And I hope you've enjoyed hearing them here on the show. I'll talk to everybody next week when I get my Frankenstein on. Ciao. Mm-hmm.